but you know the story of like environmental of extraction and exploitation goes hand in hand with this story of like you know the exploitation and you know enslavement of a whole race of people so with until you kind of integrate those stories until they're told um hand in hand then it won't involve the people who feel disenfranchised because they're like well my story's not there I don't. I don't wish to sound miserable. It's just that you do shout awfully loud. Okay. You should have got used to it by now. You should have. I know. You know this is coming. Listen. Right. I welcome <laughs> to Sustainable One Hundred and Eighty Three. We are your friendly little weekly environment podcast, ain't we all? Yes. Brought to you as ever under lockdown by the magic of the two tin cans and a bit of string that is reaching across <laughs> stinky London. Um, yeah, and we are here to talk about how, despite everything is nosed, we can still have a bit of a chuckle and a think about it. Yes? Correct. And what and about what to whom are we going to have a chuckly think this week? <laughs> very good chuckly think uh, intro there, Dave. Yes, this week, uh, very, very excitingly, we are talking to biologist and TV presenter and filmmaker and voiceover artist and all-round good egg, Gillian Burke. Yeah, very good. Uh, Gillian is off of a thing called Springwatch, which I have had explained to me is on the television. Uh, <laughs> and I listen, watched... I can't, I can't believe this. I still can't believe this. We've, I, we have recorded the episode. I know how this conversation goes, but I still can't believe that you don't really know what Springwatch is and then you admitted to the person we're interviewing who presents Springwatch that you don't really know what Springwatch is. But it's all right, because you really know what Springwatch is. So on average, <laughs> we know quite a lot about what Springwatch is. No, look, it's it's not personal. I just don't watch tele very much because it rots your brain. And as George Monbiot will tell you, friend of the babble, um, it is all kowtowing to the man. But it sounds like Springwatch is very nice and it's got rabbits and beavers and birds in it. And, and we talked to Gillian about Springwatch. But then, oh, we also talked to her about her experiences of being a black woman in a pretty white world, both, you know, the TV making world, but the environmental world, which is... Is a pretty white old space, isn't it all? Um, it is. Like this podcast, pretty like white thing. Yes. Like this podcast. Um, so we had a good natter about that. And it's, you know, we haven't had the opportunity to have that kind of chat. So we really enjoyed doing it. And listening to her experiences and her hope and optimism and anger was cracking, I thought. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it all? Yeah, it was cracking. Um, I... I, I confess to being a little bit starstruck talking to Gillian. Uh, you know, not just because she's off of the telly and I get starstruck when I speak to anyone off of the telly, but because it's a, it's an amazing programme, Springwatch. She's an amazing presenter um, and she talks with wisdom and warmth and insight uh, in, in response to all of our questions. And it was great. So enjoy. We certainly did. This is a little bit longer, this episode, because... Frankly, these are important things to be talking about and you don't want to rush them. Uh, so no apologies for that, but just, you know, brace yourself for a slightly longer walk around your living room than usual. Uh, do your disclaimer then, Ol. 
I'll be. I could do it for you if you like, but I Go think on you should disclaim, you just, you your, disclaim, disclaim your own scurrilous behaviour. Well, you do work for an environmental charity, don't you, Will? Yep. Well done, that. Yeah, good week. Well, excellent. Um, <laughs> and um, But these are very much your own views, aren't they? So any beef with anyone anyone says, make sure you at it at all and don't at it at the people what pay all. Yes? Absolutely. So we, uh, Gillian joined us via the magic of the internet all the way from Cornwall, which, if you don't know where it is, is a sticky outy bit down at the bottom left of Britain where we went to look at some beavers back in episode 155. Um, so, we, yeah, we started talking about that. So I always, I always think, like, you know, if you look on the map, it looks like Cornwall's sort of, like, trying its best to break free and <laughs> head, head south for warmer climes, basically. But, yeah, it's that sort of peninsula right on the southwest um, of Britain. So that's We went home. there. We it's went lovely. there to look at some beavers. And we went there to look at the same beavers you went to look at on the telly, <laughs> yeah. um, except you actually saw them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And we went there in the pissing rain and we saw precisely zero beavers. Spoiled. Are you kidding? Um, yeah. Well, we went, I mean, they did warn us. They did say, you're coming, not at the greatest time of year, but hopefully we might see some, but we didn't. Something's running right to left in the, on the island. Quite fast. Yeah. Oh, that won't be a beaver then. It's quite fast. It's quite small. Yeah, that'll be a rat, I expect. Yeah, we see a lot of them. I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> But that's a that's a separate issue. We will come. We will definitely come on to talk about beavers. Just your money back, at least. Uh, yeah, we should have done actually. We definitely should have done. Um, we will come back to that. But um, I read a very entertaining thing on your blog the other day, where you said, uh, you know, regarding you being cooped up with your kids, uh, you found yourself sharing with them my thoughts on consumerism, ecological breakdown, and how all of humanity has wound up in this mess. How did that go? <laughs> Do you know, um, oh gosh, now I'm really embarrassed I ever wrote that blog. It is like the worst <laughs> reflection of me as a parent and environmentalist. <laughs> it's it's the rants, isn't it? I don't know. Do other people do this? But, yep. you know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's like it bubbles up. And unfortunately, my children are sort of like my test audience. You know, they're, um, you know, my kind of little barometers. I've got two kids. So I've got a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old, a boy and a girl. And um, one is, you know, I would say probably more engaged, you know, with the natural world and definitely kind of a bit more sort of switched on and finds it easier to sort of, you know, I don't know, not tow the line. God, that's even worse. It's not towing the line. But, um, yeah, you know, one definitely feels feels it you know, feels the emotion of what's going on in the planet and the world and the things that we buy and the clothes that we wear. Um, so, you know, I've got one and then the other, and I'm being deliberately vague about which one's which, because I do, you know, I mean, they'll know if they ever hear this, but, um, you know, I don't want to like, you know, <laughs> name and shame anyone here. But the other child um, really just, it's like, yeah, does not want to have to do this, you know, is pissed off that has arrived in the world in the shape that it's in. And it's like, right, now it's up to me. You know, there's that real sort of vibe I get of like, this isn't my problem to fix. I just want to have a good time. 
And I get that, you know, so it's, it's mm, a really interesting yeah. challenge, yeah. actually. And, you know, um, kids, whether they're your own or someone else's, I mean, they're great at sort of throwing really difficult questions at you and just making you look like an idiot, basically, <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, 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 that is so unfair. I hate you. <laughs> do you ever find yourself, like, do you ever find one of your kids saying to you, well, well how, this is your fault? Like, do you ever feel guilty about it? Do you ever feel that we're bequeathing a world? I know old bangs on about this all the time. Bequeathing a world to our kids that is nosed up. Does it make you feel bad? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I'm, I sort of feel, I feel like really protective, you know. I know like there's all this stuff in like the press about, oh, it's amazing that the younger generation are rising to the challenge. And it is. It definitely is amazing. I'm not saying it's not. But there is a part of me that's like, this is nuts. It's not even their problem to fix. So, yeah, there is a lot of guilt. And I don't necessarily feel like turning, certainly my children, into sort of activists. I, you know, I hope that what I'm doing is, um, you know, giving them the skills to make choices as consumers, blah, blah, blah. My wish, you know, the magic wand type mm. thing, is that by the time they're adults, they'll just be better you know, options for them, you know, as consumers, as people, as humans. Um, I hate the word consumer as well, but anyway, that's another story. Um, mm. Yeah, just better better options available so they don't even have to think like this, like, you know, navigating, like I call it sort of like slaloming your way through this like impossible mesh of choices that, you know, that actually sometimes it really does feel like it is impossible to um yeah, to make good choices and in inverted commas, um, you know, it, across all, you know, sectors of your life. You know, it's just really hard. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I find it hard, even as someone yeah. who, no, who likes to feel like a fully paid up, you know, kind of activist. And actually, I'm, you know, am I an activist? I don't even know. But, you know, someone who cares, I think is probably the best way to put it. Well, you're you're you'll be known to lots of people listening uh, to this podcast. Definitely as somebody who cares, but also someone who is on the telly, uh, which <laughs> e immediately elevates you uh, in our in today's society to like you know the top of the pile. Right, you're on the telly. Someone on the telly. Uh, but for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, uh, what telly stuff do you do, and how how did you come to being on the telly? Oh my gosh. How long is this podcast? <laughs> yeah, so I realize we're okay. sort of <laughs> starting at the beginning. Gonna, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go through like I'm going to try and do this as quickly as possible because um you know there's there's bigger and better stuff to talk about. Um <laughs> but basically yeah, so yeah, I'm on the telly and um I'm a biologist. I'm you know present now on a BBC series if you don't watch it. Why not? But anyway, that's another story. Yeah, um, Dave. No. Why not? Um, yeah, Dave. We'll, we'll come. To, we'll come to that. We'll come to. I've already <laughs> said I'm sorry. Haven't forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. So BBC um, live wildlife show called Spring Watch, and in autumn it's called Autumn Watch, and winter it's called Winter Watch, and there is no summer watch. Um, otherwise, we'd never have any time off, and I think the team would just like literally collapse and die. But yeah, so it's a live show, and we chart. Um, the changing of the seasons, you know, the, the, the comings and goings of all the sort of animals, what they get up to in each season. It's British wildlife, um, which I find an interesting kind of turn of phrase. And I've always sort of felt a little bit like 
you know, secretly going, yeah, but the, the wildlife doesn't know it's British. But, you know, I get it. It's a way for, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a way for people, you know, audiences here in the UK to um, feel, you know, this like, like vested interest, you know, like get excited about what's on their doorstep. Because I think before the watches, most wildlife TV was about, you know, in, like really exotic stuff in far-flung places. And then I felt, you know, I wasn't involved in the show back, back in its inception, but I think that the, there was a sense that, hang on a second, you know, if we're not getting people engaged with what's actually here under their noses, it's going to just disappear. There have been beaver reintroductions right across the country, right across Europe for several decades now. And we know that beavers can restore ecosystems. They can bring wildlife back, but... I worked in production for most of my TV career, so behind the camera. That was my... I also got the feeling that you had more editorial control, like, you know, um, so my plan was, like, I was going to get to the point of being a producer-director and, you know, presenting was just not something I was tempted or even found vaguely appealing, if I'm honest, because I'd worked on so many presenter-led films and I was like, oh, okay, this is how this works. Now, thanks, I'm not going to do that. Um, but then... But then the watches came along, <laughs> you know. And at and the time, are... and this is not that long ago, it's only like three years ago, but even three years ago, it was three, four years ago, I was like, there's not many opportunities to talk about the environment and conservation within natural history TV, but the watches is one place you can do that. And so mm. to me, that was a compelling enough reason to cross the line and, and <laughs> give it a go. And here and I am. <laughs> They are, they are very nice. Now, look, cards on the table. I, I don't really watch telly, right? So this isn't personal. I do have a telly. It sometimes has football on it. That's nice. <laughs> sometimes. Um, but I, 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 had man I don't... I, look, it's not personal. I hadn't seen it. Or I hadn't seen Spring Watch. I managed not to watch it. And I know that makes me awful and terrible. And as <laughs> homework and punishment... No, not punishment. What's the word? Revision. No, homework. All made me uh, watch them. All of the above. Uh, help. Oh, help. And uh, <laughs> no, basically... No, no, no carry on. No, no. Great. <laughs> you're, you're doing great I love I loved it. That is what I wanted to say. I loved it. Ol sent me the one, uh, well, a particular episode, which we shall come to, but it's lo it's so lovely, isn't it? It is just You just dug yourself wonderful. out of a hole there. You know that. I'm <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> um, exhausted. Go on mute, I'm tired. <laughs> it was, it is bloody, what I wanted, shut up, Ol, and let, let me, now listen. It's bloody wonderful. It must be wonderful to make it, right? For those who don't know what it is, go and paint a picture for sort of for, for people who've never seen it. What's so wonderful about it? Because it is right. Wonderful. Well, <clears throat> you know, this is going to be slightly biased. Um, why is Springwatch wonderful? I guess it. You know, one of one of the real constructs of it is it's live, and you know, if anyone like you know the old adage of you know don't work with children and animals you know, in the entertainment industry. Well, I would add, don't work with children and animals live. Um, so there's <laughs> instantly, you know, uh, you know, all the possibilities of things to go wrong. That's probably like one of the main reasons people tune in, waiting, hoping that, you know, we... <laughs>
up, basically. I mean, um, there's a kind of ongoing <laughs> thread of like, and we're going, oh, we've got, we've got, we've got live, you know, something amazing. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know, goshawk or something. There's a goshawk on a nest and you go to the nest and there is no goshawk on the nest. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's one of the things I love about it most. <laughs> it's great. Is that the deepest shag you've ever had here? Yes, yeah. So that's the, the previous one was 40, 41 metres. So she's... Oh, you are awful. But I like you. <laughs> so the idea is that, yeah, you know, there's a whole bunch of live cameras. Um, we like to call ourselves respectful observers of nature. Um, so, you know, there are these remote cameras set up and, you know, as um, unob unobtrusively as possible, is that the word? Um, on various nests, sometimes on a badger set, that sort of thing. And particularly in the spring, um, that's when we get to see these dramas, these little, little mini dramas unfold. You know, will the blue tit chicks make it? Oh, no, they got predated, you know, that sort of thing, um, which happens a lot. And it's actually... <laughs> Well, they make like, it... People get mad oh, at us because no. they, you know, the attrition rate is so high, and yeah. you know, well, I kind of go. One's gone. Oh, I that's all. That's all. Four of the checks gone. It's oh, it's awful because join us oh, next week cool. for more. more yeah, on we make them all cute. We get everyone really invested, and then they just you know, they get nabbed one after the other. <laughs> I should, I'm not even laughing about it. It's awful. But no. um I mean, the reality is, you know, we try and kind of, you know, weave this into the storytelling is it's, you know, it's nature and it's the cycle of life and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, whether or not we've got cameras on the nest, the, the reality is, you know, the attrition rate is high for, you know, nesting birds. Um, nests fail for all sorts of reasons. But, yeah, it provides the um, the drama. And then, you know, within all of that sort of, what we hope is that we can weave in, you know, like just interesting science, you know, like real nitty gritty, like proper geeking out science. Um, but then, you know, some funny stuff, some entertainment, you know, it's sort of, um, you know, we attempt to do it all. But what I can say, and this is the serious bit, um, is that, you know, everyone's really committed, the whole team. And that was one of the big surprises for me when I joined um, the team. It's a huge team, like for Springwatch, um, this is you know, obviously pre-COVID, you know, the world as it was, um, you know, a sort of classic watch would have you know, meant there's about 100 crew. Um, it's wow. like the live, you know, the biggest live sort of outside broadcast, I think, outside the Olymp Olympics or something. Um, wow. So it's a big deal, you know, a lot of people show up. And actually what I found really, really amazing was that like everyone's into it. They're all really committed. So it's amazing working on a team where you're surrounded by people who, um, A, know a lot about their wildlife. That's a bit intimidating, but, um, but also actually really committed, you know, and there's always a commitment to try and weave in those like conservation, environmental stories. Um, so yeah, it was pretty inspiring kind of joining it, you know. So 2020 was, um, I mean, presumably, you know, a few it's been months. interesting, isn't it? A few, has been, Still has, going. As years, as years go, it's been interesting. Yes, that is one way of putting it. But, um, I mean, anyone who watched Springwatch, and just to check again, Dave, was that you? I have now watched Springwatch. Okay, <laughs> well, Not live, I, clearly. I watched, I watched Springwatch live. And Thank anyone, you, and loads of people, like even more than usual, I think were watching Springwatch live. And anyone who did saw that it was unique obviously because of the context but it meant that you couldn't all be in the same place and you couldn't do the kind of co-presenting stuff and it 
it was very special to watch. And I don't know if like, did you get a sense of it being a bit special? Not just different and kind of logistically challenging, but like there was something very poignant about it and something very cathartic about it that mm. came across from the screen anyway. Did, like, did it feel like that when you were filming it? Well, <clears throat> it was, um, it's kind of one of those things that, at the beginning, as as the UK went into lockdown, so what was that, like the 23rd or something of March, at the, that week, at that point, we didn't know whether it was going to go ahead at all. Like, we just didn't know if it was doable, can it be done, you know, is it irresponsible, you know, lots of questions asked of ourselves. I... I realized, okay, they're not going to be able to send anyone out location scouting, looking for stories, finding, you know, finding the content. Um, I'm going to need to stay home or close to home. And then I had to point out the reality of my home, which is, you know, I live in, in a town in a coastal town and, um, I'm surrounded by mostly like student houses and I've got about a four square meters of like garden. Um, and I was like, we're not going to be able to do the show from my house. I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> and they were like, and uh, there is, there was a, there was a black cap nest um, in kind of like a little tangle of bramble on the other side. I'm pointing this way because it's the front of the house. That's the, that's the back garden, the little four square meters. Um, and, and I said, you know, that's it. You know, I'm like, that's not going to make through three weeks of live TV. <laughs> so I had to kind of come up with, um, you know, kind of suggestions and hence the beavers. Um, so I kind of suggested this, this project, the Cornwall Beaver project, it's called. And of course, you know, everyone can go ahead and chuckle. We've get it at your systems. Julia, but, I don't um, know what you're talking well, about. We are, we are well. respectable grown-up, <laughs> non-sniggering adults. But, oh, they're, they're doing well, very I, good. I, I got I, to say, you are being very good. I should point out that the, the episode of Springwatch that Ole said I should watch as preparation was the one in which Steve Baxall said this. Uh, probably, probably the only thing that would get in under there would be some of the uh, the giant river rats that we have around here, which seriously have to be seen to be believed. I mean, honestly, they look like Gillian's beavers. They are absolutely massive. But here and now they seem to be doing well. <laughs> um, I, I which I don't know why I'll send that one to me. <laughs> Just chose <laughs> one, one episode Just at random. Just one at random, yeah. 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 <laughs> that clearly. <laughs> but I mean, it was heroic. So, it was heroic. Like, uh, how how does anybody get through a live segment of TV when you are stood next to a, literally a stuffed beaver talking about the anatomy of beavers? Uh, it, <laughs> I, I, don't, I just don't know how that is humanly possible. Well, professional, isn't it? <laughs> well, I suppose, yeah, it speaks volumes. Well, we do no, you know what? Do you know what really helped as well for that piece? Because um, there's always like, you know, oh, we've only got three minutes. You know, there's always this thing of like not crashing out at the end of the show which um, is live TV speak for meaning that basically you overran your slot. And, <laughs> you know, it causes like a major deal, like with the channel, like everyone gets really upset and angry with you, you know. So um, by the time we got to that particular moment where I was, I was um, yeah, you know, taking everyone through the anatomy of the beaver, um, <laughs> I was told that I was like, you've got to do this in like four min minutes or whatever it was, four or five minutes, I can't remember. And when we'd sort of run it through for time, in a rehearsal, I, I, it was much longer than that. So I had to sub it down in my head. So I rattled through it. And I think because I was like listening to the counts on my earpiece and, you know, um, 
they, they kind of tell you when you're a minute into the item and then maybe like three minutes in and how long you've got left. And I was thinking, all right, I've got to get to the bit about, you know, the beaver and the back end of a beaver. And you know, I, was like, <laughs> I was a woman on a mission. So, yeah, that really helped actually having that focus of like, <laughs> they're going to cut me out if I don't do this properly and quickly. <laughs> So, yeah, no, but you know what? It was great. I'm, and, and joking aside, it was great to be able to do like three weeks um, at a project that's looking to reintroduce like a keystone species. Oh, here is the, the, the really sort of serious bit. But it is, it's cool because, you know, beavers are, for people who listening who don't know, they're like this amazing species. You get like, oh my God, another terrible pun coming up. This is one I couldn't use on live TV, but you get a lot of bang for your buck with beavers. Um, because basically, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Please don't You know what? This is like, this is like the, the, the part of me that needed to come out on live TV that didn't. So <laughs> you're getting it all now, all the gags. But no, seriously though, they are keystone species. And the reason why they call that is because they... They're like, you know, catalysts. They sort of like give uh, habitats this incredible boost. You know, they create habitat. They create new habitats, very dynamic. When they sort of, you know, they kind of change the course of rivers. They build dams. They sort of create wetland habitat. And that sort of starts to like, it's like it kickstarts a whole engine of biodiversity. And even on that one mm -hmm. little site, the Cornwall Beaver Project, which is like a couple of acres of enclosure, where they've reintroduced a pair of Eurasian beavers. I think they did that like two, two, three years ago now. And um, already that site is like a wilderness. I kept walking into the, you know, the, the, the area every day, you know, as we started setting up for each night's show. And it was like, I just kept calling it my little like corner of wilderness, you know, because mm -hmm. it was like nothing or very few parts of the British landscape looked like that. And there was something about it that took me back to, like some of the places I played and adventured in as a kid in Kenya, you know, wow. different species, different sort of like, you know, yeah, but just the same feeling of aliveness, you know. So, yeah, all joking aside, beavers are great. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. Let me help you with that. The other thing I wanted to talk about, I mean, 2020, you know, it's not doing well so far, is it, on a number of a number of fronts. Um, but clearly one of the things that also happened in the spring, as well as the pandemic, is you know, triggered by yet more police brutality in, in the States, the rise of uh, Black Lives Matter and the protests uh, around uh, lack of representation and inequality and racism uh, here and, uh, and in the States. And arguably long overdue but that has kind of spurred a few conversations and actions around this within the environment movement which let's face it and you know this podcast is a is a another representation of it is not a diverse sector is uh, i think second only to farming as like the least diverse uh, bits of the economy why why is that and why you know why despite being populated by people who think of themselves as kind of, you know, liberal, progressive, tolerant types. Why is it that this sector, you know, is it, is it worse than the, than the economy as a whole, than the, the country as a whole in terms, of, in terms of racism, in terms of lack of representation? 
Oh, big question. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, 2020. And I tell you what, like what's really frightening is we're only, well, just over halfway through. So, yeah. you know, hold on to your seats, folks. Yeah, so it's it's been a mad year. And it's, what, yeah, I mean, I, I, I will answer your question, but sort of indirectly, I guess. I mean, you know, what's happened this year and the sort of, parallel tracks of like the progression of the COVID pandemic. And then with everyone's lives disrupted as it was um, to then have like, like a single incident be so incendiary, um, maybe not the right word choice, but maybe it is, I don't know. I don't, you know, it, it angered people. It, it really set alight emotions and, you know, literally, you know, places as well. And, um, and I think, you know, that, you know, I think other people have made this comment, but certainly I agree with it as well. It's no accident that, um, you know, that, you know, there've been other incidents this year alone, you know, even just like within a month or before a month before, um, the George Floyd's tragic, um, killing there was, you know, Ahmed Aubrey, there was like, there's so many, I mean, it's just painfully long the list of names that we know of there's way more mm. people we never mm. hear about um that get killed and then lots more people who are brutalized traumatized hurt that we never even hear about and this has like been going on for centuries it really has you know and so it's a really difficult one because like the way i sort of feel me as you know black woman who works in an industry that to be honest, is actually really fun to work in and has been. And I've, you know, really had a great time of traveling the world, you know, sort of being able to indulge my personal interest in like wildlife and the natural world. All of that's been great. And in a way, like, you know, this is kind of like it's, it's, there's been a collision between things that I observe and think and feel, but never really talk about because it's, there's never been like the space in my working world. And in actually the world, I mean, I live in Cornwall, which is, you know, a very white part of Britain. Um, so like, it's a really interesting time now. What I'm finding is that, yeah, I am having conversations like this that I would never have had yeah. pre 2020, you know, and I've been asked, you know, I think, you know, commendably, I've been asked by lots of organizations, you know, in offline conversations, like, how can we, how can we make this different? I'm not sure I personally can solve, you know, and answer those questions, but I can bring my perspective to it, you know. And, um, and I think the hardest thing is to, like, for me, it's kind of like history, you know. And um, until we kind of look at how we've got to where we are, it, we won't be able to understand why things look like they do and therefore how to get out of it. So for me, like history and the stories that we tell and the, you know, the way things are taught in school, you know, the, the stories that we tell in the press and the media in 
you know, books that we write, you know, I'm saying collective we, you know, as people, humanity, um, until that sort of changes, I don't know if we can push forward. Because I think the reason why things look the way they do is there's been a real disconnect in um, being able to kind of demonstrate how long this oppression has been going on for and, you know, dehumanizing of like entire like race, you know, and I'm really, you know, I really do want to make the point that I'm, I'm aware that there are disenfranchised people who are not black or, you know, or yeah. even of ethnic origin, you know, like the white sort of working class, um, you know, they're, they're disenfranchised too. Their voices are not heard, but certainly in terms of, you know, racism where, you know, you walk into a room and if you're of color, you have either in your subconscious or sometimes consciously the expectation that you're, the way you're received in that room might be different simply because of the way you look. And, you know, that's like, to me, it, it, it's sort of so obvious to anyone who isn't white that that's how it feels to be not white in a white world, that it's almost like, wow, you know, that's the first, these are the first opportunities, 2020, that I've had to sort of say this to people and not feel like, um, maybe I'm being hypersensitive or maybe I'm kind of, you know, dragging the, you know, cause those are the sort of accusations that have always been held. Like, you know, oh, this is, you know, you're talking about something that happened like hundreds of years ago. It's over now. You know, why are you bringing well, that? Act- actively said, like that stuff oh, is yeah, not just yeah. in place, actually. Yeah, said. yeah, no, definitely. Wow. And, you know, I would say that my experience isn't unique in any shape or form. You know, it's pretty normal to, um, on lots of levels, you know, sometimes it's overt racism or sometimes it's simply like, you know, like there's a lot of stuff I let slide simply because I know that I'm with good people who don't, would never consider themselves to be racist, but it's simply that like my experience of life can only be experienced as me. And I'm talking to someone who's not black or whatever black woman. Um, so I just know that that's not like, I can't expect someone to know what it's like to be me equally as I can't, you know, be expected to know what, what it's like to not be black. So, you know, I just think like, this is a really good opportunity for all of us to like, just be like, have this kind of honesty. And I think, you know, a big part of that, like I said, is, um, not the retelling of history, but like, let's bring in all the, you know, like we're only listening to one like tune at the moment. And let's like, let's hear all the other versions of this, this story. In Churchill's case, we focus on everything that he got right. And, and, and if, and if you, like me, you're somebody who says Churchill won the war and we rightly respect him and remember him for that. On the other hand, he, he had racist views. He enjoyed killing Africans. He called them savages. He had eugenicist ideas. He was willing to see three million Indians die when he could have helped. And I honestly, I mean, I, you know, I'm not alone in this as well, but you know, the story of like environmental of extraction and exploitation goes hand in hand with this story of like, you know, the exploitation and, you know, enslavement of a whole race of people. So to me, you know, there is um, the disconnect might be because, you know, the two things are like two sides of the same coin, you know, social injustice and environmental injustice or environmental degradation. They're two sides of the same coin. So, with until you kind of integrate those stories until they're told um hand in hand then it won't involve the people who feel disenfranchised because they're like well my story's not there um and no one's listening and when i try to tell my story um 
it's dismissed or it's, you know, kind of, yeah, dismissed as something that's happened in the past. But, you know, I think the reality is that the echoes of what happened in the past is still resounding, you know, very much so in the present in terms of like really obvious things like the police brutality to the fact that, you know, um, yeah, you know, like the environmental sector is so underrepresented and it's even difficult to know how to begin to have the, you know, to, to begin to unpick that. And for me, like stories, that, I'm a storyteller. That ultimately, that's that's where, you know, the emotion then gets pulled into what's what we're trying to do, and then we can empathize and and then move forward. You know, I hope that's what I hope can happen anyway. get a sense you spend a vast amount of time in wellies um tramping around countryside looking at beavers and things do, do you get a sense that it feels like i don't really know how to word this so forgive me i guess the countryside like if you have an image of people who spend time in the countryside the, po- the poster images of white people spending time in a kind of white environment like, how do we make it feel like it's everyone's countryside yeah okay well, it's a, yeah, definitely. It it feels so. I'm pausing because <laughs> I just have to correct you. I don't spend that much time in wellies. I hate wearing wellies, actually. But, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that's why I was like, I I can't let that go. I'm going to have to deal with this first, and then let's <laughs> go back to racial injustice. Yeah, I I you know for for want of not singling out any specific brands, but their brands, I'm like, I will not be seen dead in in that. But anyway, <laughs> this is not a fashion show. Oh, is it? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> no, it's, it's many things. It's not that. <laughs> so, yeah, now we've gotten past my dress sense. Um, back to racial injustice. Um, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is kind of, yeah. I mean, you know, there's, okay, this is going to be maybe not very, like, people are going to hate me for saying this, but there is a part of me that's always kind of thought, well, like, it is Britain. It's mostly white. So, yeah, of course the criticize is going to be mostly white because, like, you know, like most people don't, you know, so to mm. me, I've never kind of gone, oh, look, there's no black people in the countryside or people of color. Um, and I've never kind of felt like, oh, this is wrong. We've got to change this. And maybe that's wrong. Me, I've obviously gone along with something thinking, well, this is just normal. Um, so, you know, and I've just kind of thought, well, that's just the way, you know, society, the makeup, the way it's been, that's where we have arrived. But clearly, you know, there's a sense like, well, if, you know, from an environmental perspective, you know, this is the this is the narrative, right? Which is, oh, well, if we're going to get people to care about the environment, then we need to, you know, people need to engage with it, people need to care about it, they need to love it, they need to enjoy it. Um, and I think that is actually the bit that um, is, is perhaps not going to work the way people imagine. I don't know if you're going to get a massive uptake now I'm pausing again because I'm like making a prediction on based on absolutely no facts other than, you know, <laughs> at all. Um, I think my my experience is that, um, you know, the way of relating to the natural world, which is, you know, going out, identifying species, um, like recording, you know, it's an important 
um, activity because it generates information, really important information, data, um, that then has allowed us. And, you know, Britain has got an incredibly well-recorded um, natural history. And, you know, that's given us a lot of really valuable data, particularly as the climate has been changing over the last few decades. You know, that's been some feedback from the system that, you know, is very slow to be acknowledged as, you know, evidence of climate change. But, you know, it has been going on. So but that, you know, for me, one of the the hardest things to try and kind of um, explain is that it's just one way of interpreting and relating to the natural world. and. Um, you know, the obvious thing to look at is sort of like indigenous cultures and the sort of the, you know, like animus cultures and the storytelling and like literally a different view of the world where like um, rivers and trees and animals are like entities within themselves. And, you know, and as soon as you start thinking of like the natural world in a wholly different, totally different way, that isn't sort of about being able to identify species and name them. Um, that's a different way of accessing the natural world. And I think that's what's sort of lacking or it's very difficult to, to kind of um, join up like the culture of people who've arrived here and now second, third generation British um, and the kind of, you know, the British, British way of doing things. Because, you know, the way I, I've sort of used this analogy that um, although I'm a biologist and, you know, I've lived here for you know long enough now and there's a lot of uh, um species i recognize when i go out you know in the countryside of my wellies <laughs> not wellies <laughs> um but i still feel like I'm, I'm operating in a second language you know like i've not i didn't grow up here i didn't you know so I've, I've had to learn this as like a second language as an adult the kind of you know the species i'm looking at what their names are they you know i don't even I rarely go into Latin names, but at least, you know, just the common names, the colloquial names, it's it's complicated and it's confusing. So even that in itself can act as a barrier. It's like, A, how do you yeah, relate to the totally. natural world? And then B, um, you know, just the identification of it. So that's, those are the barriers that I, you know, those I think are the subtler barriers um, for people of like mixed ethnic backgrounds and black backgrounds that, um, I mean, the obvious barriers are like not feeling welcome, you know, having people stare at you, you know, people being overtly racist, that's happened. Um, was, you know, I could talk horrible, about that. Yeah, it was a horrible video doing arounds not long ago, only a month or so ago of um, like a birder in uh, Central Park in, in, in the States <laughs> and uh, a white woman just walking her dog just called the cops on him because mm. it just... She was. She basically just refused to believe that a black man was bird watching in the bit of the park that she walked her dogs, and it's just it's just horrific. But that's not. It's not unusual, is it? It's it's actually depressingly familiar that sort of story. Please call the cops. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. The man behind the camera, Chris Cooper, says this all started Monday morning. The avid birder was in the area of the park known as the Ram. I think what, what was really demonstrated very clearly as well in that video was um, being able to, like, weaponize the words, like, you know, I'm being threatened by an African-American man, you know. So, again, you know, that, you know, their, le their levels of racism and so there, there was, you know, level one, which is she refused to believe that a black man might be birding in Central Park rather than doing anything, you know, else. And then level two, 
was that, you know, she then made sure that when she was calling 911 that, you know, the person receiving a call understood that she felt threatened by an African-American man. Those are the words she used. And um, there was like a deep knowledge there that that would immediately give her um, like a sense that, you know, her word would be believed over his, that she felt a safety in being able to use that card. Um, So, you know, there's a lot going on in that clip. It's very distressing to watch. And, um, and it triggers, you know, it triggers like so many people when you watch that, because you're like, well, on more subtle levels, most people will not even some sometimes more worse than that. People have experienced many, many levels of that. All I'm saying is, if you deep it, sis, deep history, I beg. Let me tell you something about the vegan and the climateer. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Well, they love looking into the future, but they don't care about the past Mm. because they don't look too noble back there. Mm. It is our duty to remind them. May we never forget. We will count every. So I want to pick up on a on a thing you said about uh, about the stories about the past and our past and about how we got to this point and um, the extent to which, well, I was, uh, the reason I'm thinking about this, there's an amazing episode of, uh, of I May Destroy You. Have you, have you been watching that? I, don't know. I have. I'm going to be honest. Maybe. Like I haven't been watching that, but I did watch the clip. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is that so, a thing on TV? Yes. That, Dave, that's, that's another, another television. That's another thing on TV, <laughs> which, which haven't seen it. quite a lot of people are enjoying watching on, on telly. As, as a sort of nice thing to do. Um, Superb. Which, which channel is it on? Or is it not work like that anymore? Uh, don't, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it later. Oh, fine. Okay, uh, so I, I watched that and I watched that episode and it blew me away. And, um, for, you know, give it a bit of context. It's an episode about a uh, central character who goes and um, basically does a load of social media stuff on behalf of a kind of vegan influencer type organization uh and she's clearly like it's explicitly said at the end that oh actually if we bring in a person of color to make these videos like we get more money like we've, we've got quotas to hit and stuff but the that clip in 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 question about like people who are banging on about the climate and banging on about the animals are very good at talking about the future and very bad about talking about the about the past that that is true isn't it like that is that kind of characterizes so much of the of the debate around environmentalism in this country like we haven't we haven't got time to talk about all the kind of structural racism and the injustices that have got us here because we've got to fix that particular issue in wind policy or something save that butterfly save that butterfly yeah and like i want to save the butterfly and i want to get wind turbines right but we intersectionalism i guess is what you call it like we're not we're not gonna get where we need to get unless we do look backwards and do recognize and confront the realities of of how we got here so i'm i would take that a step further and say that i think the environmental mainstream environmental movement are not good about talking about the past because they simply haven't thought about it or can't even see it or haven't been able to see it until it's been pushed into the agenda i think there's a lot to be learned about how um this year with the Black Lives Matter movement getting this, um, you know, sort of no one clearly had a plan for this year to be the year that BLM um, gets pushed onto the you know mainstream agenda in the way that it has. Um, 
I mean, the sad thing is, you know, it took something like George Floyd's death to make that happen. And the timing of this to happen during a pandemic where there's already a lot of disruption, people are confined to their homes, people are, um, you know, maybe not going to work every day because they can't. And, you know, and they see something on their screens and, you know, the, the technology is like a trifecta, isn't it, of, of things mm. that line up. And the technology means that, you know, people are, I don't know, I didn't watch, I, watch the video. I just didn't feel like I needed to. Um, I've seen the images and I've read the account of what happened. But for people who did watch that, you know, it just, you know, like even now as I talk, I can feel all the kind of visceral reactions to what happened there so you know the environmental sector mainstream has kind of you know this whole year has grabbed all of us by the scruff of the neck and going you are going to look at this you are going to deal with this and um not everyone is ready that's the thing and until people are ready um you know, it, it's difficult to get people to listen to these stories. But people somehow seem to be ready to look at this. I think, you know, and this is actually where younger generations are like, you know, really instrumental. Um, because, you know, I've got like friends, you know, whose kids, you know, these are white friends who's, you know, sort of teenage or early 20s, kids in their early 20s are like, you know, I want to understand what's happened in the same way. I'll, I'll jump out of like the intensity of talking about race and I'll jump into something else in the same way that my, 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 um, son, my 13 year old, um, often feels really upset and doesn't understand why there is so much emphasis on female empowerment. You know, he actually asked like a few years back, he goes, mom, why is it okay to say girl power, but it's not okay to say boy power. And so, you know, so I realized that, you know, when you're born into this generation and you inherit um, a lot of sort of just behavior, but you don't understand where it's come from. I think that's where a lot of like white younger kids and the younger generation are right now. They're like inheriting behavior and they're starting to feel and learn that they're inheriting privilege and, and wealth, you know, relative um, that, you know, that has come by a means they're not proud of and they, they, they like clearly think is wrong. And so there, I think this is what's really interesting about the time we're living in is that there's sort of less denial. There's more of an appetite to delve into the past and go, how did we end up where we are? You know, oh, right. These statues in our cities, these buildings that we live in, you know, all of this is built off the backs of slaves and, and, you know, the colonies and all of that stuff, you know, so both my kids have sort of, you know, gone through primary now into secondary. And I was looking, um, this is before the pandemic. And I was, I'd been invited to speak on a panel, like just here within Cornwall council, you know, uh, um, the education authority, the local authority wanted me to speak about how to make the curriculum in Cornwall and, you know, teaching more inclusive for the um, Bain community. It's a very tiny community here. So it's an amazingly progressive thing to be asked to do even before, you know, lockdown and the pandemic and BLM. Um, so there were people already thinking along those lines. It just wasn't getting the, the, um, amplification that it receives now. Um, 
but so part of my research for when I was preparing for that was I was just kind of looking at the reading list and I was like the number of books um children's literature about the second world war compared to anything else yeah. and you know and my my son was like well why is that I was like well I, I guess it's because that's where you know the British get to feel like heroes you know because they did something heroic well, bloody- Bloody Boris Johnson yesterday banging on about the Second World War again. RAF Lossiemouth, where I've been looking at the most incredible planes that uh, you've ever seen. First of all, there's the the Spitfire behind me. Can you see it there? The most the, that uh, uh, helped to protect us in the in the Second World War and, and helped to secure victory in the Second World War. But also about forty. Yeah, it's it's um it's it's a deeply emotional part of British history, and you know so it's it's um. It's a way to tap into that sense of like national pride and pulling together and all of that stuff when you need it. Um, but, you know, that's taught like the skew, you know, towards teaching like the Second World War as opposed to anything else is huge. So, you know, for me, it's like, well, you know, if you're not even being taught this stuff in school, how do you expect people to know other than now being kind of, you know, sort of really forced to look at it? Because, you know, um, the week after George Floyd's death, you know, the, the noise on social media just was so much that it just forced itself onto the mainstream agenda, onto our news cycles, you know, and not just on social media, on the streets. You know, whether you, people thought that was right or wrong, there's no question it made people talk about it. And, you know, like it's like an advancement, like, you know, <laughs> If you, I love watching stand-up comedy. That's my that's my chill thing, right? <laughs> and um, but you know, and I go to, like I love all the classics. You know, like you know, classic Dave Chappelle. This is all the Americans. You know, kind of stand-ups, particularly you know the um, black like black entertainment. You know, um, networks and stuff. So, but you know, you look back on some of the real classics like Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, and um, you know that from 20 years ago and the jokes, you know, the, the stuff they talk about is as current then, you know, it's still yeah. current is what I'm trying to say. So, you know, although this feels new, it's not new. It's just advancing the awareness. And I think this is a really powerful time because I think what we have now is more than before. There were white allies, even during the civil rights movement, but more than before there is more allyship. And that is a really important part of this movement. And you guys are demonstrating that by even asking these questions. So, you know, that is commendable, definitely. So Gillian, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Thank you so much for doing Spring Watch. It remains one of my favourite programmes ever and I'm pleased to announce is going to become one of Dave's favourite programmes once he pulls his finger out uh, and starts watching it properly. It's it's one of the programmes I've watched most this year. Well, there you go. There you go. Straight in there at number one on Dave's list. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much to both of you. I loved it. Thank you. And and is there going to be presumably autumn watch is happening? Are we going to see you uh, doing autumn watch? As far or is as that I all know, up in the air. It, it, it's far as I know. Like nothing is certain anymore, is it? Um, it never was a life of a freelancer. But no, I, as far as I know, autumn watch is happening, and um, 
yeah, you know, be, Dave will be watching as well. <laughs> yeah, I'll stay tuned for that and for Apocalypse Watch, which is coming after that. <laughs> Amazing. Gillian, thank you so much. Thank you. So that is just about it for another episode of Babel. Thank you very, very much to Gillian for speaking to us uh, so beautifully. And thank you, Dave, also for speaking beautifully. But, you know, not as beautifully. Let's be frank. Uh, Thank you uh, to the beautiful Dickie Moore for his beautiful music that begins and ends and intertwinkles this podcast. Thank you to the equally beautiful Arthur Stovall for the beautiful logo that he puts on our beautiful T-shirts that you can get off our beautiful website, which is www.sustainababble.fish. You can get in touch with us and you can tell us what you thought of the show and other things. Just write to us. We like, we like getting emails. We do read them all. Uh, don't always have time to reply. You can email us, hello at sustainababble.fish. Find us on the Twitter at the Babble Wagon, or we're on the Facebook. Uh, if you bollocks look for, search for <laughs> Sustainababble, you'll find it. You'll it's find hard, it. isn't it? It's hard. It is. Lovely. And if you do feel so inclined, please drop us a few pennies by going to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com forward slash sustainababble thank you as ever to the wonderful kind generous people who do give us a couple of quid a month uh, it all helps and helps us make good stuff right very good oh we should be back next week when we should be talking to another famous person off of the telly it's exciting isn't it all it is exciting more starstruckness for us very good. Until then, all I hope that you can get through episodes of television programs without sniggering. Um, and yeah, Can't send me other things that are on. What else is on? Is, uh, You've got a, you, is that still you going? will not believe the world that is about to open up to you when you turn on the telly. I mean, it's just there is there is everything. Crikey Moses! Bye, bye. bye.